Today, I am delighted to be joined by our very own CEO of CloudApps, Andy McDonald. He's also the director of Truvo Payments, owner of Mindset Before Action, and XVP Sales at ACI Worldwide. So quite a few things on there, Andy. Uh, is there anything else you want to, to add into that? Uh, yeah, formally, formally ACI Worldwide. Um, but yes, currently enjoy my time uh, helping cloud apps uh, in the world of AI, uh, running an executive coaching business and uh, helping Truvo Payments out. Great. Um, and cheers for for coming on and, and having a, a conversation with us today. There's so many points we can run through and cover, but I know I'd obviously fired some questions over to you and it'd be really good to chat around your sales experience and, and obviously the podcast's winning with AI, so how you're using AI. Uh, so something new that I've done with quite a few of the recent guests we've had on, so episodes that'll be coming out soon, is ask them about how they're using AI in life and business. So we do talk about business and, and opera, operationalizing AI and using it for efficiency, but how are you using it just day-to-day life to start with? Because I found it quite an interesting one. Yeah, it is. And I don't think um, many people realize how much usage they perform on a daily basis um, using AI. And when you asked me this question, um, I had to think about it. And it's, it's only then that you actually realize that the things that I love doing are mainly driven by AI. So, you know, music, uh, music's a big thing in my life. And uh, when you're getting suggestions on playlists, um, new artists, uh, film recommendations, that type of stuff, it's it's driven by AI. And what I love about that, um, is it's hidden. So I think people think that AI is this big scary thing where you've got driverless cars and talking robots and 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 all that type of stuff, you know, drones coming everywhere. But actually, if you think about how it's embedded in our lives and how it's enhancing our lives and making things more personalized and customized to the things you like doing, then um you, you get, get your head around that. And then you actually start to apply that thinking to business. It makes you take a step back as opposed to saying, we must do some AI, right? We must do some AI. Because if you think about, you know, the, the mobile device. So, you know, this thing that we we hold in our pockets, carry around with us all day, it's 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 an AI device, right? So, yeah. you know, we've got something called Siri. Um, Siri just appeared really from, from Apple and you know, taking natural language processing and actually making it really simple to to ask things. Uh, Alexa clearly is a, is a is a use case where people take over your your playlist and you actually have the right to then ask Alexa to to go back to what sort of stuff you like. So it's in our da- in our daily lives. Um, uh, my my big my big lesson really is, um, yeah, when you're when you're applying it in business, um, think about that hidden nature. Um, it's a bit like my old world of payments. <clears throat> um, payments is a, a thing that people sell uh, and consume, um, but they're hidden, right? So it shouldn't be impactful on people. If it's disruptive and disrupts the flow of you buying goods online, then it's not really a good application of it. So if it's hidden in the background and works well and seamlessly, then you're going to drive mass adoption. So when thinking about that, Josh, in um, business terms because i've just explained how regular my own personal usage of ai is um i would uh, i would think about um taking those principles and 
yeah, we are already doing that. Um, you know, so so when we're actually starting to search um, for, for for information, you're preparing for meetings, uh, and you know everybody knows about generative AI, and you know they've got their heads around the value yeah. of that because, you know, I need to go and do some preparation. I've got sales tools um, which use AI, by the way. So a lot of the tools searching for contacts and searching for companies have mm-hmm. AI behind them, but actually. Then checking, um, you know, one of the generative AI uh, applications for further information and validation points is is a classic case of this is seamless to me. I don't know what sat behind it. I don't care what technology is sat behind it. It's just a really useful application. So when I when I talk to you know people in in my space where we are applying what's called a applied AI, so you're actually using AI for a distinctive business purpose. In our case, mm-hmm. cloud apps, that's predictions. So we're predicting yeah. outcomes of, of sales-related activities, opportunities, customer retention, that type of stuff. Um, we have to make it as as invisible as possible so that the sellers, <clears throat> the sellers at the end of the day are the ones that are going to be benefiting and using this uh, capability mm-hmm. as well as as well as leaders. And and if you make it intrusive, it's not going to work. And there's going to be a resistance. Um, so, you know, if you can make it as invisible and as intuitive uh, and as valuable as possible, then um, then you're on a, a road to success. Yeah, I think some really interesting points in there. I think the day-to-day use, like picking your phone up and showing that, I mean, people don't even consider that when they take a picture. It goes through about like 20 layers of AI to optimize the image. So you're not actually taking a picture of what you, you kind of see in front of you. It's an optimized version of it. And I think... It's funny because initially people say, you know, with ChatGPT and Gen AI coming out last year, really, or mass adoption of it coming out last year, people only think they're just starting to really use it. But actually, they've been using it for ages. It's been around for a long time. Um, and that fear is only because there's this sudden unknown world about it and they're starting to realize. But from a business point of view, and I know we've chatted around this, I think that purpose... <laughs> No, we talked about it in last week's episode um, where I kind of chatted just by myself around the purpose of, of AI and strategy that is focused on outcomes. And I think that's the key thing. And that's one thing we've been looking at and talking to our customers about is mm. what are you trying to achieve with it? Because like you say, it doesn't really matter in between pushing the button and what the output is. It's what you get the output and, and how the outputs come around. I think that's the key thing. So. Yeah. I think just on building on that point, Josh, um, we still get still get you know very very large enterprise customers asking, we need to do some AI, right? And it's, yeah. it's interesting, right? Because all of the reports, all of the analysts say, you know, by you know twenty twenty five, twenty six, seventy five percent of businesses will be using you know AI uh, analytics uh, to drive um, forecasting, for example, and and then people go into this mode of we need to be doing something with AI. So it's really important to sit down with, um, <clears throat> you know, your customers uh, and your partners to to identify, well, what is what is the burning issue? What's, what's, what's the really top of mind in terms of your challenges in your business? And then applying the, the right type of solution to that. And if AI is the solution, great. It might not be. It might not be. You know, putting AI in. I mean, you know, there's there's all sorts of technologies out there, and they keep on emerging. But having that conversation and then finding the use case that's going to drive value, yeah. and the use case that's going to be accepted and easy to implement 
uh, and to be adopted by you know the mass seller workforce or whoever's the uh, the usage target um should be right at the top of mind um when having those discussions yeah definitely and it then makes it significantly easier to bring in a tool that's going to drive ROI because if you've got purpose for it, it's going to be used, it's going to be adopted rather than just here's another tool to throw into the mix, which gets incredibly confusing, another login space that's not in their day-to-day usage. So then you've got to change culture, you've got to change behavior. So it becomes more than just a let's do AI to tick a box. It's actually you spend the money and probably won't get the adoption on it, which is the key thing. If no one uses it, what's the point? Right. So how has, and we've touched upon it already a little bit, but drawn on obviously experience at cloud apps and also at Truvo, how has that experience kind of shaped your view, especially recently, because I'd say in the last six to 12 months, there's been such a shift in the market, but of AI's role in B2B sales? Yeah, well, no, I think you mentioned it earlier, um, this has been around for a long time, right? So I first came across uh, machine learning. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a payments veteran, as they term it, which means you're old uh, and have been working for quite a while. But in my early payments days, um, the, the machine learning shiny new tools started appearing. So these companies started appearing. And, you know, we were threatened by it. You know, so we had a traditional um rules-based manual type of fraud detection system so payments can only operate uh, the way they do by having fraud detection systems in place to, to stop bad actors coming in and and taking people's uh, identity and money so so mm-hmm. we have very very good systems leading edge systems and then these machine learning vendors started coming in and the normal reaction uh of the mass market is this won't last you know this is a shiny new thing and you know, what tends to happen is you do get implementations, they are costly, they go wrong. And then we all sort of go, yeah, you know, told you so, um, and stick to what you're doing. But eventually over time, it's inevitable. Um, The efficiencies that are being offered in a new technology with a proper application like fraud detection, fraud management. um, And there's so much data. I mean, there is so much data in, you know, millions of transactions coming through millions of customers millions of locations you think of all these data points and realistically only machine learning is going to be the the technology that can detect patterns in that and raise anomalies which is what it's all about raising false positives you know um, reducing false positives um, raising uh, bad actors and then being able to help in the process to stop bad transactions going through to stop fraud and over time, um, people start to adopt that technology and build it into their, their processes, which is exactly what happened to my company. And then, you know, you've got the best of both worlds. Uh, so the key there is having the best of both worlds, not just replacing something with something. It's actually having that ability to um, to use, for example, a rule system along with the machine learning system. So my um, adoption and acceptance of AI was probably around 15 15 years ago and then um going you know winding forward to cloud apps and actually winding back four years four and a half years when i came across this it was like a i really like the look of this right because i've been a sales leader um general manager for for 20 odd years and i was the the one that was asking for data i was the one that was asking for 
forecasts from 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 the team from the field across Europe and across America. And of course, you're getting human views, which is fantastic. But then I'm I'm then putting my view on that, and that view then gets put into finance uh, planning and analysis, and that gets sanitized. And eventually, you know, you get this forecast, which typically is missed. I mean, typically is missed by yeah. most companies, right? They get within a few percentage points, but actually individual individual deals and opportunities and um, you know, renewals tend to be inaccurate um, because it's very human-based with a bit of analytics on the side. So when I came to Cloud Apps, it was, okay, here's a technology that's being built um, that will solve my use case and and not replace in any way. I'm one I'm of these people that has this like an augmented, it's got to be an augmentation of what you've got because you'll never, mm-hmm. in my opinion, replace the brilliance of, relationship management people who are actually have selling skills and um, skills they've built up all their lives and relationships and industry knowledge that is absolutely fundamental but augmenting that with a capability to be able to help um, and nudge those people along in their deal cycle remind them that they're probably um, either underestimating or overestimating the situation they're in by using a data point based on loads and loads of data that exists in the business, which no human could possibly pull together at one point. Um, and then in real time say, you know, you need to be doing this or you should be looking elsewhere for your, for, for your sales. Uh, and that to me was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm liking this. This is what I can put my, I can stand behind it because I was a user with the pain and now I'm a vendor slash partner with the solution. So marrying those two together and being in the seat of the people we're talking to is really quite a, a nice, you know, aha moment. Yeah. And I think pain, solving the pain is the most important thing for the product to, to do really, because you're not trying to force a different way of working or something that doesn't exist. It, it's actually just, it means we can talk about it like we are today and we know exactly what it's going to do. And, it's interesting. I think that augmented use case or basically just enhancing people's capability to actually do the job is really important. And I had a conversation, well, it was last night actually, which we recorded it with Praveen and he he's done some stuff in the, the medical space. And similar question is to, and what you've just actually brought up. I asked, do you think, you know, it's going to replace doctors? Is it going to replace um, physicians? That's that sort of thing. And it, I mean, the short answer was no. And it, similar belief as well. All that does is allow that that person who goes into the doctors, the doctor can sit down and instead of just having that 10 minutes with them to try and diagnose them um, and look at maybe history on a computer in five minutes to pull it up, you'd like to think that they know everything about you, but the reality is they might not because... Mm. They've got another 10 patients in the next half an hour to try and see set outside. So they're trying to do it quickly. And instead, if you've got things like your wearables, um, all this information and data can be consolidated through AI, then the doctor gets all the information, knows exactly where the issues could be. The AI can predict with, um, and in his use case, was like 98% accuracy what the diagnosis is, but still gives it to a doctor to say, yes, because you need that human intervention. And for me, that clicked really well because exactly what you've just been touching on around the sales side of things, uh, I think sales forecasting, it can range drastically how well you forecast based on data, but even 70% accurate, if it was just human, 
you can get so much more. And we aim for obviously 95% accuracy on reporting. Uh, and that 5%, I think is fine because you're always going to get someone having a bad day or, or some something slightly different with a, a deal. So I think that's fine from a yeah, human perspective. And, it, and this is about, you know, it's not about just the sort of the one deal. This is about thousands and thousands of deals that, you know, leadership are, you know, daily, sometimes daily at end of quarter, looking at their, you know, their position that they're going to end up. You know, they have they have accountability to um to 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 shareholders, stakeholders, staff, everybody. And and this is about being given real-time information um across a large amount uh, of of potential you know opportunities, renewals, um, you know, churn, that type of stuff. And if you've if you've got the ability to then use your limited time and expert knowledge on focusing on where the risks and the and the upsides are rather than poking into every single deal um, and having you know breakout sessions on regions and you know, it, it's just saving a lot of time it's giving a lot of focus it's giving a lot of upside um in a business and this is yeah. what it's all about and it's just you know going, going back to um a point you made earlier and you know if 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 I'm um if I'm sort of looking at uh you know my daily activity, uh, I, I will humans typically are habitual, right? That's so we are yeah. we are habitual and and you know it's like having a sales course from the Xerox 80s, you know, mm-hmm. which was amazing and still applies a lot of the time to proper training. People remember that and they stick to it. And it's unless you're nudged out of the standard way of doing it, because things have changed now. Buyers have changed. We we know all the stuff here. Buyers have changed. You know, we've gone digital. Okay. We went home-based, um, which is now hybrid, you know, and just everything has changed. So if you stay with the old way of doing things, then you're probably not going to match your buyer expectations and be in the same place as your buyer. So what we're using here is we're using data. Uh, we're using um, technology like AI to be able to match situations with needs uh, and that again will provide a nudge to individuals to be able to do um, maybe a thinking time. Okay, I maybe not be in the place I think I'm at on this opportunity. Yeah. I need to expand my stakeholder um, influence. I need to go and um, you know research more on the competitive landscape. And once you've done that, then you may move to where you you know you you think you were, you thought you were. Yeah, and I think. Emotion probably plays a lot into that as well, like habits and emotion. Because 100%. if you if you just come off a, a sales call and it's gone really well, or you think it has, you're going to be like, "Yeah, this is going to close," you know, and very soon. If it's been a while, uh, you you might be and you've not heard anything, or and there could be perfectly you know justifiable reasons why the individual you're talking to might be on holiday, something might have come up, sorted something else out, still has full confidence they're going to close the deal. Um, but your emotion could put that that's not going to close. You know, you're thinking, oh, and actually it can put you into mindsets, I think, as well. And we obviously look at behavioral science to to do our nudging and approach. But this is where I think we've got the two ends of the, the spectrum, which I find really interesting. And the second one I didn't consider quite as much. First one is obviously the deals at risks that you're overly positive about, but actually you need to still be expanding. As you said, you need several stakeholders. You need to map it out further. Um and then the other one is actually you might be just in a bit of a bad mindset with the deal, but it's ready to close. You just need to pick up the phone and try and talk to them. 
And I think, as you said, you could probably get into those habits as people and humans, uh, and it's hard to break up with. Yeah, it's, it's that that latter point is is interesting. We have some customers, um, you know, where that point you made is validated because they sit in sales stages, um, and a lot of these CRM platforms are driven by sales sales stages. And not every deal is the same, right? Um, some deals can go from uh, exploratory to um, you know budget approved or um, in yeah. closing really quickly. So not following the standard stage process. So yeah, you often see um, you know a fifteen percent stage two deal, and in fact um, AI would come up and say this is this is going to track on to close, right? And you can even identify by when and how much. Um, so what it's doing is giving a guidance to maybe um, leadership to the individual, uh, and if that conversation then is more productive around okay, there's a gap here where you know. What do we need to do to get it to that 100 yeah. um it might just be a hygiene a deal hygiene thing because there's you know over the last 20 odd years you know people have struggled with adoption of new technologies crm implementations being one of the biggest you know it's a yeah often seen as a i've got to put stuff into the crm so therefore a deal will go in there i've, I've done i've logged my deal it stays there it's just a hygiene thing but if you've got visibility um in real time of where actually this deal is tracking towards. You can then have a conversation with your manager or your team uh, and you can actually then work together. And actually you're going to get then logically going to get a better forecast just by the more hygienic way of running your deals and reporting them. It doesn't mean to say you have to put more stuff in the CRM. It just means you need to update where you are in the journey and then get prompts as to yeah. what else you could do to get to, um, to close. Definitely. And on the CRM, because this, this is what I imagine a lot of the people listening will think right now when they start there, they'll be thinking deal predict, like deal prediction in our sense, or whatever you're trying to predict with AI, whether it's in, through payments, it's it's going to be based on data. And to a degree, that's always going to be true, no matter what you're trying to do. It needs, AI needs data to work off. What would you say when people, because I think... I don't know if I've ever spoke to, to someone or ever worked anywhere where I've thought, oh, my my CRM system, whether it's Salesforce or whatever, God, it's perfect. The data hygiene is brilliant. Keep it up to date every day. Uh, I know my entire team does. Um, what do you say to people who just say, well, my CRM data hygiene is, is awful and how can I benefit from that? Because, yeah, that's something that I think most people probably ask. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I say is, uh, yeah, yeah, everyone says that. Right, so it, you're not alone, um, which which is true. And the second thing is um, uh, really our easy answer. Let's test it. Okay, so you can only you can only do one thing, which is try something. Right, so taking your data because everyone's data is different. Right, they work in different geographies, they work with different products, different sellers, different sales cycles, sales methodologies. You know, it's typically different to everybody. So using a generic approach. Is going to lead to uh, inaccuracies and this is about having a customizability to to look at your own information and turn that into really useful management information to get accurate predictions and accurate revenue and the predictable revenue thing has been a long discussion in um in sales and in management 
So uh, trying it, uh, testing it, taking taking some some data, um, you know, because and even if you then get objections, say no, no, our data is really we don't collect activity data. For example, was a recent one I had, um, but we've got enough information on the opportunity, um, how long it's been in, you know, what yeah. products, what products, um, who the sellers are. Um, again, this is all data. This is not this is anonymized because it's data. AI cares about data. Um, mm-hmm. So there's enough opportunity information. There's enough account information as well, um, you know, available. So that, that account, you know, have we sold to that account before? What's the profile of the account? Where does the account sit? You know, so that, that type of stuff. And then you know, the third layer is the cadence of that um, opportunity. So is it moving quick through the process? Does it match other deals of a similar nature? And there might be, you know, there might be several thousand similar type of deals which you could then model on to then predict the outcome based on those data points um so if that deal is stuck when they normally move at a certain pace you know there's some some risk in that deal so that's yeah. enough to be able to get really really good predictions when you're using a a very advanced um in our case deep learning um ai prediction platform um anything else is is good is valuable anything else is good so if you do have activity data building conversational intelligence feeds into it that for example or or feeds from um other external sources you can do that but you have enough information on what people term you know um sketchy data to get some really really good results and and it also depends on the use case as well so there may be other use cases because we've we've been in um some implementations looking at um driving win rates driving win rates, which is normally the one that people go to, to, to drive up revenue and sales mm-hmm. performance. And actually, um, this has pivoted uh, into different areas. Um, so using a flexible, uh, agile platform, a generalized platform to be able to load in data and get an output. And the output is where the human brain comes into its element. What are we trying to solve here? And if it's about white space, um, you know, how do we, how do we cross sell uh, an upsell most effectively to our accounts. So do you throw everything, uh, all products at everybody, or do you actually use AI to identify the most, uh, um, well, the quickest and fastest route with the highest success? And you can do what, you can run some very, very quick models on that using a no-code AI platform. Um, this is not data scientists having to do work. This is actually running business stress tests on um, hypothesis that humans come up with. And if the answer is not right, you've not spent three months doing it. You know, yeah. you've, spent, <laughs> you've, spent, you've spent some hours and some days running a hypothesis, which could avoid a huge amount of work. But actually, you know, you, you come across an upsell um, business case, which pays for, um, you know, software licensing in one go. Um, that that's that's an example. There are other hypotheses that keep on coming up. As long as you have data inputs and you have a an output that you're trying to achieve, you can run this through um, a very leading uh, platform. How long would you typically say it takes a tool like this to get up and running and to get data that's valuable to you and your business? Because that's another thing. Obviously, you need adoption of any new software. And sales tech and martech adoptions I've seen in enterprise businesses in the past 
one of the big challenges I've always got is the, the tool looks absolutely brilliant. You get demoed a tool and the tool's been set up in the background to be perfect. There's one that always jumps into my head. I won't mention them, but all singing and dancing, it is. it was a game changer. But to get to that point, you needed months of of resource. Like you said, either data scientists, to be fair, I didn't have one at the time. So I had a automation experts who just sat and worked on do, tweaking things, getting like certain configurations up and running. But and I spent far too much time on it. And granted it was good, but there was a limit where we never got to where it could have got to because there was a part where it's like, well, actually, our time and resource being to it now is probably more than the value I'm going to get going forward. So let's keep it to this. And we used it and it was still good, but how hard is it? Do you need data scientists? How long do you need? Because you talked about testing it, but is it, how long does it take to test something like this? Uh, I mean, it's this is, this is again, going back to um, the start of the call uh, about, you know, simplicity, invisibility, uh, adoption, um, you know, spending spending months and months and months testing something uh, and lots of resources is, is not going to be a turn on for companies that are striving to um, achieve results with, you know, in some cases less resource than they had last year. So this has got to be, um, you know, seamless. It's got to be um, simple to, to, to implement. Um, the technology is available, right? The technology is there. It's not, you know, you're not performing integrations. It's cloud-based, um, cloud-based technology. So that's enabled straight away. It's more about the, the processes of the client rather than mm -hmm. technology being uh, a limiter. Um, you know, so having complex integrations is, is not, is not really going to help. So being able to spin up a, you know, an instance um, for a client to run some tests is based around how quickly they can get together the appropriate data. And that's, that's just processes from their side. So, you know, you send us this data, um, you load the data, so, so you can load the data and then together we can um, work on the, um, on the, um, the test case. And, and that should be a two week process. It should be a yeah. two week process. And it doesn't need a data scientist, right? So you typically in sales operations or, or in enablement, you'll have somebody, a business analyst working there to crunch some numbers that go into a forecast or, and many other functions. But being able to get hold of uh, the data, um, you, you can um, upload it in real time um, through a Salesforce integration, but you know it can just be sent as a CSV file uh, loaded, tested, and then the the platform then should, um, with the help of of uh, some professional services resource, we should then come up with um, some some results. And then is testing that business value, and that's the key thing here. It's all very well doing a technical test, but what's the business value? What does this mean? Um, yeah, you to then go to the next stage, which is invest maybe time and effort, um, you know, in a project. So mm -hmm. so. This is why we believe that that initial phase is crucial um, because, you know, the world is full of, you know, projects that have cost a lot of money that have ended up not delivering value. So find out immediately. Um, and sometimes in some cases we've discovered that and we've helped the client say, look, if you can then, go, you know, spend the next six months gathering, um, maybe improving your processes and actually collecting uh, the right type of information we can then regroup in six months but um you know once you once i mean the, the, one of the best um implementations we've had is done a two-week test 
with a, a North American customer. We then went into um, a, a period of value um, you know, discovery, which was another week. And then we went into contracts uh, and implementation within another week. Um, so that that's a, basically over a five-week process. It's been tested, proven, and implemented. And then when you have rollout, <clears throat> rollout means more about human factors rather than technology. Yeah. It's the yeah, it's yeah. The, whole, it's the whole adoption thing. It's it's how we're then going to get people to understand the value of this to them, um, rather than it just being a um, a corporate tool to be able to measure forecasts and deal health mm-hmm. and deal hygiene. It becomes a seller tool. So then that whole process of working with change management, um, and and you know that whole piece around simplicity, uh, invisibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is not something to log into. It's something that's there. It appears. And it's an assistant. Um, that whole communication piece needs to be done, uh, and then then you get um, full value within uh, a couple of months from the implementation. That's good. I think uh, the last bit, the simplicity, and you know, one one place to to access all this is really important because I think after the kind of SaaS and I've chatted around the other day, the SaaS software boom, it's been happening over the last you know fifteen twenty years. There's so many tools for everything. And I feel like we've gone through a period of consolidation and actually companies want tools to to fulfill an outcome, like we talked about earlier, but also they want to consolidate so they don't log into hundreds of different places. So wherever you can have things natively, like our um, gamification and behavioral science platform, native in Salesforce, I think things like that are just massively important. Now, Without taking it down a, a doom and gloom <laughs> route, um, yesterday, which is uh, on the 15th of February when this is recorded, there was news on about, obviously, UK recession and, you know, limitations on things at the moment. Uh, and one thing I, I was kind of keen to ask you about in the current climate and current market, what should other CEOs and directors, and obviously you've got a lot of experience in VP of sales, um, what should they be looking at when in this Mark Four tools and what, what they're looking out for? It'd be really interesting to just get your thoughts on it. So specifically relating to how can I use tools to help? It, yeah, probably AI tools. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think given given the news yesterday, and, and I think a lot of people didn't even think we were out of recession, never mind back in one. Um, so, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, I mean, we didn't go in yesterday, did we? <laughs> It's been like six months. Not been the easiest economic conditions over the last few years, face it. So that's where, in my opinion, um, you know, as a CEO uh, and as a just a a person out there trying to win business. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, CEOs always always are out there selling with with their teams, and uh, I think comes down to focus. So you've got to again make sure you focus uh, and execute on that focus. So. For me, it's it's being clear on what your you know what your your ideal customer profile looks like. So being like doubling down on that really, mm-hmm. um, and then and then being able to ensure that you don't divert away from that. So it's all you, and you can revisit that time and time again, time and time again. So it doesn't need to be a this is this is forever our ICP. You can revisit um, your ideal customer profile because technology is emerging. Other markets and markets are just appearing, and, and globalization also. It's been around for a long, long time, but AI is um, one of those technologies that is termed transversal. So mm-hmm. it actually applies across um, 
you know, this is horizontally across many, many sectors. Yeah. So as a, as an applied um, capability, um, companies are able to then, you know, service different sectors using, um, you know, a technology like, like AI and cloud computing is another one with the ability to, to actually then go into global, you know, a global rollout, for example, going to different countries. So, um, yeah, but but given given that big market and that big opportunity, it's tempting to go right. We need to go into um, you know other other countries to to make up for the gap because the UK's hit a recession. We go no, it's double down, <clears throat> focus, refocus. Look at your um, idle customer profile and and stick to this. Plus, also talent for me is um, a really big a really big uh, area of focus. So, looking at um, the people you have in your business. And actually looking at the needs of those people, so the retention of those people, um, and and you know, I think what what attracted people ten years ago, even five years ago, has changed to now. Um, so you know, it's not all about the perks and the salary; it's about different things. So there's a different agenda that's appeared in front of us. Um, you know, with you know the whole sort of uh, ethical side of of doing CSR. business, yeah. Yeah, doing business in the right way and and having um, a conscience about what we're doing. So, um, you know, having having looking at that that whole base of your offer to people and getting good retention in place. And and this is where you know we've when we use some of the, the gamification capability, um, motivating people uh, in sales. Um, mm-hmm. it, people should be motivated anyway because they've got commission plans. Well, actually, no, people, you know. They tend to get, you know, resilience tested when they're being yeah. given those those. If you can nudge people and make um, things interesting and gamify them, use gaming mechanics to try different things in a different competition. People love, you know, getting down to a task because they could end up at the top of a leaderboard or a team being a winner and that type of stuff. So there's all sorts of different tools and techniques to be able to to use. But um, you know, I think going back to the start of your question on tools. Uh, my personal opinion is there is a consolidation. There will be a consolidation play. There normally is in most sectors. And, you know, yeah. the, all the shiny tools that different countries and regions and leaders put in um, are now getting, you know, people getting a hold of it and saying, right, okay, let's let's consolidate. What do we really need? Can we put an overlay of AI, which actually does quite a lot of that stuff? Um, yeah. And, you know, simplicity is key here, um, not managing hundreds and hundreds of different systems and platforms. Yeah, and I think simplicity is key. Is is also around what you need. So coming back to the purpose, and I keep looking around to the the purpose point because sometimes as well, consolidation doesn't just mean we need one tool. It, it might be actually we need to solve these problems in the best way we can, and that's really important. You don't necessarily need something which does five hundred things when you use two of them. <laughs> and then you need other tools to do the rest anyway. So <laughs> what's the point in that? And I think motivation is, that was a really good point, just drawing upon it because people are human. <laughs> you know, they've, they have good days, you have bad days. It's not like you have, okay, motivated every single day, do the same output. Some days you give 100% and you actually might only be at 25%. I mean, everyone's got COVID still goes around, doesn't it? People get ill. So, you know, it might be some harder days. And finding different ways to motivate is really important. And that this one thing, having a lot of friends who like playing games, um, one thing I, I really like about our platform, but if you do it in general, is single player and multiplayer. And it always comes down to it where 
some days you, you don't, and depending on level as well, but you don't want to go in a big competition against a hundred other people. You actually just want to work and sit, play a game by yourself mm-hmm. and level yourself up, play it, enjoy it. And you're still getting the benefit, but you just need that kind of calmness and that route and, and probably clarity on it. And then sometimes I'm a sports player, so I play field hockey. And on a Saturday, there's nothing I like more than like tackling someone. I try and score a goal and win with my team and do it together and competing against other people, either in a team or on one-on-one basis from a personal point of view. So I, I think that is it's a really good point around motivation and sustaining mm-hmm. And, yeah, and having the flexibility yeah. to use different, um, different, you know, because not everybody's the same. So for those people that like to play alone uh, and, and want to have some time to, you know, beat them, you know, beat themselves, basically, um, you can provide nudging without being in competitions. It, it's really dependent on the culture of the company and, and, what, and the culture of the teams running yeah. multiple things at once. Brilliant. I've got one more question, which I'm keen to put your brain on. Okay. What is next for AI? We'll, we'll keep it on in sales. You can go broader if you want than any other parts because, as you said, it's universal in terms of the solution, B2B, B2C, life, business. It, it goes across so many things. But what do you think is next for AI in sales over the next 12 months, 5, 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not the most advanced theorist and uh, science science. Um, uh, engineer to be able to predict the future of AI, but what I can say is a personal opinion. Um, you know, my experience as a, if I'm managing a, um, you know, a large team of people um, globally, yeah, and the, the tools and all this stuff is great. But what what's the nirvana? What's the nirvana? And I think the nirvana is a couple of things. Um, it's the combination of um, generative AI and adaptive AI. So adaptive AI with the business applications like cloud apps, making predictions is fantastic. It works. It's valuable. But then generative AI, which tends to be you know, around you know, generating um, text and, you know, the, the whole thing we're used to with Google. You know, everyone's been using Google for, um, for since, since it was born to, to ask questions. If you can do that and combine it with applied AI, um, then that's going to make life a lot easier. So ask a question uh, about, you know, anything you have to do with your your forecast and your pipeline but equally um we're getting used to chatbots yeah yeah so assistants um and they're often rubbish okay they're often rubbish so you go in there everyone thinks i'm going to get exactly the answer i want um but what it is tends to be in companies um tends to be helping you avoid going to a human right so yeah it's, it's going to a library being a library of content um, that they'll give you, go back to the website. No, I don't want to do that. I actually want to answer this question. So for me, having a, a, a an assistant uh, front end to asking questions about your highest risk deals, um, you know, or, or those deals that um, I should be looking at um, today, um, having that assistant at the front end. Um, so you've got all the clever stuff at the back, right? All the brilliant stuff that's at the back and going back to, you know, the way that, People like Spotify have done it, and Netflix, and uh, and Apple having that ability to almost not know what's behind the scenes, so you can um, you can ask the question and all the brilliant stuff. You know, it's still there; it's still people building it, and still people in, um, implementing it. But um, having having that um, you know seamless seamless uh, capability, that's my in my space. Uh, and clearly, the future of AI is enormous in 
uh, all sorts of places like um, you know virtual reality and um, you know that just just you know the whole world of of um, yeah VR and um, the metaverse and you know like for me personally you know, I'm not the youngest but uh, I want to stick to uh, practical practical applications um, and real value in the space that I know. Um, and there's a lot of work to go. There's a lot of, you know, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. There's still a lot of work to, do, to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a lot about, yeah, AR, VR. You've got, I think your first point with when you lifted your phone up, see it's an iPhone and you're talking about Apple, you've got Apple Vision Pro's just come out. And I think Apple are a good use case of user experience being, they, they won't release it. I mean, to a degree, there's always iterations of it. First iteration of Apple stuff's, never perfect but it's usually you know not too far off it's it's brilliant i mean that provision pro is getting amazing reviews and there's some nuances with it then learning and teething issues with it but it's the first vr and ar headset which is amazing people uh, you'll see look at pictures walking around new york with it on and they can see perfectly through it because in real time it's scanning everything around and providing a video and everything to the point people are like catching things together and it's unbelievable technology um, and actually, today I was just looking because uh, OpenAI have released Sora. Um, and you talked about kind of the different use cases of AI. And one thing on uh, the infographic, which you can get on the Cloud Apps website, um, with uh, Gareth Davies talked about, our, our CTO. Uh, and he talked about in the podcast as well, is multimodal AI. And I think that's going to be huge. And today's announcement with Sora is another step towards that from OpenAI's point of view. Um, and they're producing video, which is scarily lifelike. I'd, when I first saw the video, I assumed it was just an ad for something. And there's a, a video of a car like driving down a, a busy road and it's just like, looks real. So cool. it's, it's already progressing quickly. What I liked about your answer though, is the, the practical use cases of it. Because when you want to get to mass adoption, you want to get the Apple step it's going to be you don't see it and you don't think that that's AI. you don't need to think about it because it's just solving the use case yeah um, but i think i would counter that josh you know whilst i'm i'm not the you know i'm not the innovator as an individual i'm a fast follower but it takes innovators to 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 test things for things we don't know you know we don't know what we don't know and this is where you know the the, the, the capabilities that we have today are because of people and companies that have tested and tried to yeah so there there is a a tech play as well um but i'm a realist um yeah i I, i'm i'm not one of those people that's sort of like right we're gonna go and spend loads of money doing this we actually take best of breed and we put it into a business application uh and bring value to clients but you know credit to um those people that built deep mind um you know way back and uh you know some incredible capability to to beat um the game of go the the go champions um which is yeah. makes chess look like a, a noddy game you know in terms of simplicity to actually for a computer to do that so it takes that type of type of capability to give the the applications like ours and you take all the technologies that have proven in that to to then bring it to business um to solve yeah. real world use cases yeah and completely disrupts the market takes it in a different direction and i think that is probably a good point to end on because we don't really know where it'll end up because whatever we think of and theorize today probably be about 60% right, but there'll be some complete curveball thrown in in terms of major market disruptors. Um, 
and technologies like DeepMind. Uh, and we'll see what happens with it. But thanks for coming on. Uh, it's been really interesting to, to chat through it all. Uh, and obviously, if anyone's listening and wants to reach out and find out more, they can find you on, on LinkedIn. I'll drop a link to, obviously, the CloudUp site. You can find out more about what we've talked about today. But uh, yeah, cheers, Andy. It's been a really good conversation. And Enjoy. yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Winning with AI. We hope to catch you every single Thursday on your favorite podcast channels on YouTube and the cloudapps.com slash podcast website. Now, please like, follow, subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.